Hello and welcome to Soundtrack Showdown, our monthly podcast where we take two soundtracks, compare them across five rounds and declare an overall winner. guys welcome back so today's episode we're going to be tackling well comic book we've decided this june july episode is is a bit of a like a comic book superhero kind of a special time of things so where last year we talked about obviously batman this year we've decided to talk about a couple of marvel movies that's right and one that actually started this whole marvel sort of comic book sort of where it is now so if it wasn't for this particular film then you would have not had marvel universe you would have actually not been able to have the second film that we're going to be discussing without the first one absolutely yes so we're talking the film the, the film that you're talking about is obviously blade from 1998 which to my understanding and by all means guys if i'm wrong about this uh you know send us a message at tristellar music it's the second movie in which a Marvel character was sort of brought to the big screen. Uh, so that was obviously, this was obviously 1998. And before then, I think it was somewhere in the 80s, Howard the Duck was, was brought to the big screen in a rather failed flop by uh, George Lucas. So that was certainly not helping anything. The second movie that we're going to be talking about, which is 2018's Black Panther. Now that we introduced them, shall we go on to talk about the contenders? Yeah, sure. So... Blade um, came out in 1998. It was directed by Stephen Norrington, and the music that we're going to be discussing was composed by Mark Isham. Yes. And the film itself is actually based on obviously a comic book about half vampire, half mortal man who becomes a protector of the model race while slaying evil vampires. And in this particular film and the storyline, Deacon Frost, whose main goal is to unleash the blood god and take the vampire race out hiding and onto the world as the dominant race so for me when i watched this film i was the about 12 13 at the time obviously you know i shouldn't have been watching this film since it was an 18 mm-hmm. um but at the time you know i was very impressed with the action scenes and the tone of the film i mean regardless of the fact that the there were majority of the soundtrack which is more of the whereby they play the popular songs what was heavy edm techno based there was still a cool sort of underground quality to it and as a teenager and going through the teenage dark phase in your life like i personally was going through a grunge and martial arts phase so for me this is one of the films where it was added to my sort of action great action sequences and like ants ridden library of films matrix was one of them Mm. as well mortal kombat on back um old boy you know district district 13 all those type of films because all of them have a very all of them have great fight scenes and what's interesting and what's lacking nowadays is that before the fight scenes were choreographed using real people because nowadays there seems to be a particularly in marvel films if you can see that a lot of the fights between general fights between people is actually a lot more cgi generated what did you think when you saw it 
Uh, well, absolutely. I mean, there's two things there that I want to pick up on. Uh, one, abs- absolutely, good point about the kind of human fight scenes back then. Like that was really the era of the, like the the action star who was actually an, a martial arts expert. Mm-hmm. Like it was probably like late career Jackie Chan, but you also had Jet Li, who was a big guy back then. In fact, I think he, Jet Li was earmarked to even be one of the characters in the movie. I think it might have even been meant to be. Um, Deacon or someone, but it, it never came through. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, Jean Claude Van Damme, like you had these guys who actually their reputation, or Chuck Norris, their reputation was based on the idea of this is a real martial artist, come to the movies and watch them do their craft, mm-hmm. basically. And mm-hmm. You're right, that's just not true anymore. The, and the other thing is, I can't let you drop that and get you let you get away with with not telling us what martial arts you were doing back in the back in the day. <laughs> Oh, no, it was only Shaolin Kung Fu. (laughs) Only Shaolin Kung Fu. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, I only did it for a few months and stuff because it was just, it's really hard work. Yeah, (laughs) okay. I then realised that, you know what, I much prefer watching it and then, like, imagine in my bedroom, like, I'm one of those, like, Kung Fu masters, you know. Okay, okay. It's still enough for me not to want to be in a confined space with you when you're in a bad mood. Uh, <laughs> uh, so let's let's move on quickly to talk about our other contender. So Black Panther, the I don't know if it was a surprise hit, but certainly the the big hit of 2018. So Black Panther was sort of half movie, half social movement, pretty much. So it's directed in part written by Ryan Coogler, who's a sort of a big up-and-coming African-American director. Significantly, he's made sort of three very big and successful movies uh, up until this point in his career, all starring Michael B. Jordan and all using uh, Ludwig Göransson as a composer. He's a, an interesting guy in himself. He's, he's Swedish. He's one, that, one of that sort of like limitless class, it seems, of musical talents coming out of Sweden. And very talented. He's composer, conductor, record producer. He perhaps first came to prominence working on the soundtrack for a, a sort of American comedy called Community, which I loved back in the day. And I assume out of that started working with uh, Donald Glover, who's known in his for his, in his musical career as Childish Gambino, uh, where he work he works with him as a uh, producer. And, I mean, just as a sign of how far this guy's going, he's actually going to be working on Christopher Nolan's next big film, Tenet. Damn it, I was going to say that. Yeah, <laughs> replacing Mr. <laughs> Zimmer. I, mean, I know, that's exactly, oh my God, you just, oh, you got uh, that before I did. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Not many people get to cut Zimmer's lunch. That's, that's, that's a I good think it's effort. about time. I think it's about time that Hans Zimmer's actually gets thrown, at, thrown out of his throne, to, yeah, to be honest, you know. But yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, he's quite an interesting, like, we'll talk more about the legacy because um, he's an interesting breed of com- new composers who are coming yeah. out. So it'll be interesting. We'll touch more about what they're going to leave behind or what their sort of prospects are for the future. Spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. To talk about music from games, movies and shows, we need to discuss where the plot goes. We'll give away endings, every last twist. If you've not seen it now, you'll know what you've missed. So if that's a problem, don't be a hater, just go and enjoy it and come back to us later. So there's going to be some pretty serious spoilers in this podcast, and you have been warned. Round 1, Main Characters 
Right, so we're starting off with Blade, obviously, because that came out first. And mm-hmm. the track that we're going to be discussing is called Daywalker. So this is the scene um, when Whistler and Blades are saying their farewells because um, Whistler is supposed... Um, he's basically been beaten up to death by Deacon Frost's henchmen. And so, but he's still kind of alive. And in order for him to not become a vampire, he shoots himself. Let's hear it. So for me, um, like 
I can for me it kind of breaks I want to break it down into because obviously this particular soundtrack does have like almost like three sections to it it's like there's a middle there's a beginning middle and end so for mm-hmm. the beginning of it kind of focuses on his emotional relationship with Whistler who's like a father figure and there's great depth to it and it's very kind of emotive and quite you know using those soaring strings you know it's and there's a sort of farewell element to it as the strings climax. Um, yeah. So, and it's it's funny. It's one of the more, if not the only, emotional scene in the film. And then, yeah, I mean, you also hear that part of it in a couple of other places in the film, which are also, I mean, I guess, slightly emotional. So, like earlier on when he rescues Karen, you mm-hmm. also hear that same bit of music, and there's a certain amount of emotion and and stuff to that scene as well. But yeah, I totally get what you're saying. And then there's the middle bit, which for me is almost like a meditative sound. There's sort of like, there's like a healing mantra to it. Um, And I guess this is meant to kind of simulate him trying to ground himself and kind of heal himself mentally and get prepared and get in the zone to Mm -hmm. um, get himself going, I guess. It's interesting that you're sort of talking about it's like meditative and healing. I think of that part as being mysterious and cold. Mm. Like I see it. And which to me gets to that kind of vampire sound. Because it's a mm. sound you often sort of use with vampires is this sort of like cold because they're kind of like uh, cold blooded almost like yeah. Interesting you said it because for me that particular sort of sound actually for me generates a connection between who he is as a character i.e. being a reclusive or like a martial arts master and who's it's it's very it's very similar to a life of a monk because blade's character is he's very reclusive he doesn't kind of he's in the background pretty much Mm-hmm. And so, for me, it just... It, it's interesting you said that you felt like it left you cold and that you felt that it represented more of his vampiric yeah. like, side of him. Yeah, that is a, a definitely a different interpretation. I found the beginning... I, I was almost... Well, no, not almost. I was flat out surprised to hear music like that in this film. Did you think the music served Blade's character? As a, like, did you think the music served him? Well done for asking that question before I could ask it of you. I am not so sure in that I find him a very stylish, strong character. And I think a character that is that stylish and strong needs a stronger, more memorable theme that can attach to him. I mean, he definitely has an intro theme, which is right. There's another track called Intruder um, where there's a real nice, cool introduction to him when he comes in and kind of breaks up the rave part the vampire rave party and and i kind of wish maybe it could have developed more with a better motif or because there isn't a real theme for blade there isn't it's just the the whole film is pretty much more saturated with contemporary music popular music rather than an actual score so that kind of is a bit of a letdown well, it's weird, really, because I, I suspect actually there's not that many modern tracks in the movie. I mean, there's obviously a, a few, but there's not that many. But it's one of those ones where you you feel later on, after having watched it, that it was full of this music. But probably actually if you counted the number of minutes, it's probably not that many. But I think that kind of speaks as much as anything to the amount of impact that those club tracks had mm-hmm. versus the impact of everything else in the movie, that they really stick out and... Mark Isham's stuff kind of doesn't to an extent. Yeah. 
Cool. So then should we move on to Black Panther? I think we should. And for this one, we're going to be talking about something that very clearly is the the theme of our main character. And I apologize for my pronunciation, but I believe he's T'Challa. And the track is called Wakanda. So that's, I mean, that's a fantastic track. The more I listen to it, the more I like it, to be brutally honest. When I first kind of listened to it outside of the film, I was like, oh, I mean, it's kind of good. And I, I mean, really? I love the, well, so, okay. So let, let me, let me, let me clarify. So I love just on the surface. I love that combination of the classical elements and the, the African drumming. Mm-hmm. Like that is really, really cool. But then I was sort of wondering, does this work in this movie? Like when you, yes, when you hear, Tristan, yes, I know, I know, I know, because <laughs> when you hear um, T'Challa then come into other Avengers movies, etc., mm-hmm. you notice it coming in because you hear the drums, because uh, the drums sound so unlike Captain America or any other. It just of the other sounds so there. unique as well. Like it you does. Ha- you ha- you feel like you haven't heard anything like that before. Agreed. My concern was, and this is where I'm sort of coming from, my concern was, does that that music sound that distinct within Black Panther, where all of the tracks kind of have this, or not, not the same, but like they all have that African drumming aesthetic. But then as I kind of looked at it more and more, I began to realise that actually, yes, they do. And it's because the trumpet fanfare really sticks out in Black Panther. Whenever you hear that come through, you really, really feel it and you really, really notice it. So I think it's actually very clever in that its Africanness makes it stand out when he's not 
in Black Panther and the heroic trumpet fanfare bit stands out when he is in Black Panther. So I, yeah, I have grown to really, really dig the balance he managed to strike between those two. I think it's a great track and I think it's a great use of unusual sounds and instruments that we probably haven't really got to use or have neglected maybe because I mean after doing some research obviously there's a prominent um, drum that is used for Chachala's theme which is the talking drum because um, it's meant to mimic be able to mimic the tones of human speech when you squeeze it and it's just just there's something the sound and the tone of it is just so unusual you kind of like you can't almost place it and mm-hmm. because it was also doubled up with a, like an um, 808 sort of beat on top of it, just that kind of gives it a more sort of layer, um, sort of interesting quality to it. And I like the combination of how it represents both T'Challa's sort of ethnic, um, where he comes from, where he was born, and and also the horns, as you mentioned, is meant to kind of represent more of his sort of royalty status. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it, actually. It's yeah. so recognisable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I put it up there with the Captain America theme as being among the few strong Marvel themes that are out there. There is, I mean, there's a, a huge thing on the internet in general about, you know, why don't the Marvel movies have good music? But this is definitely a real exception to that, and it really, really works. And we will talk more in the coming rounds, I think, about the project that Ludwig has done here. But just for now, I would just say, yeah, I mean, it's great and it's because of that balance and that it just works. So shall we get on to voting on round one, whether we think Wakanda or Daywalker are the better hero theme? What do you think? Well, I mean, for me, Wakanda has the strongest theme and it's just it's far more the most imagine it's far more imaginative i think in its use of instrumentation and just a, an intro like an introduction to a new way of using west african music um to the western ears so uh, yeah for me i i like it i prefer wakanda 100 percent agree can't can't go any other way i am also going to vote for wakanda and black panther Round two, villains. So for Blade, I believe the track we're going to be talking about is called Top of the Food Chain. That's right. Uh, And it's about what? Deacon? Deacon Knight? Deacon Frost. Deacon Frost. (laughs) (laughs) You've got like Dark Knight in your brain, maybe. (laughs) And here's the track.
so this so this track is played during when Deacon is talking to Karen um, when okay. he's captured her. He's basically telling her that. Well, he's kind of trying to woo her and kind of to try and seduce her to be like, oh, but, like, don't you want to become like one of us? We're so cool, we're so sexy, sort of vibe. No one was trying come on coming onto her full on while in front of his girlfriend as well, and then she kind of declines. And then uh, quite abruptly, and then obviously that's when he kind of turns and kind of, um, he yeah, she calls him a disease and that a disease that can be cured. And then he kind of snaps at her and says like, actually, we're at the top of the fucking food chain. Like there's nothing you can do about it. And there's a real sort of sinister change in him that I think for the very first time you see a real malice to him. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it was to do with the lighting or whatever, but just everything in that scene for me, that was the first time in the film that I saw like, ooh, I don't want to mess with this guy. That this His villainous-esque comes out. And You're right, because until then, he's, all, he's kind of portrayed weirdly as like the more progressive of the vampires. Mm-hmm. So he's almost semi-sympathetic, but at that point you're like, oh no, he's actually the bad guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like he's this, he has this fierce affirmation and it's... Yeah, you definitely see his vicious vampire side for the very first yeah. time. See the fangs. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't stand out overly, but... That's musically you mean, it doesn't yeah. stand out. Yeah, I agree. I mean, what I've got written down here, and I'll, I'll sort of let you, you know, agree or disagree, but I, I basically said it's it's not a theme so much as a texture. Mm. Yeah, no, it's like, yeah, it's an atmosphere builder. Yeah, it's sort of very um, uh, what I would call slow drama. In that it's, ba- it's like it's a suspense theme rather than being necessarily a character theme in mm. its own right but again it's, it's again in the, this that particular whole of the soundtrack doesn't really have any themes to it per character which again is something yeah. that it lacks and because you've got these really interesting um quite three-dimensional characters that actually really need to have something to kind of align themselves with so that you know that i mean you, you get their presence regardless like in the film but if it was mm-hmm. accentuated with the music music with the musicality it would have been so much more great like there would have been more sort of fear or there would have been much more sort of triumph you know for each of these characters when they come in so yeah exactly and i like i can kind of see where they're going with it and what they've done i mean and it's not that unusual is they've given him a very sort of like a, a specific sound rather than so much a, a, a theme. So you've got that that low strings. Whenever you hear those kind of like slow, low, like cellos, bass melodies, you're like, okay, this is Deacon doing his thing. And I think the best part of the theme is, and I can't quite name what I think the instrument is, but it's that deep kind of piano string type pulse, mm-hmm. the really threatening kind of clang. Uh, and I think that's quite effective as a sound and it works, but yeah, it does. It's not really something that's gonna stick with you after the movie during the movie i think it works during the movie i think it's enough that you hear it and you're like okay deacon's doing something and you hear it a lot around the beginning of the ritual i think that sound and it's kind of effective but yeah it's it's not one you're going to remember later on which yeah i know but you know what just to touch on there seems to be more and again we're going to talk about in one of the in one of our rounds but i think mm. the themes are more heightened by the popular music because one yeah. thing that i did notice that whenever like deacon is listening to something to something on his headphones or whether he's at his own party or whatever there is a style of music that is played to kind of signify his sort of environment and his sort of what he likes 
what sort of vibe he likes to be in. Oh, that's interesting. So you're saying that kind of like that house trance kind mm, of sound is yeah. as much of his theme as, as this music is. Yeah, because every time he appears, that's the only sort of music that is kind of played. Yeah. Cool. Well, then, yeah, should, like it. Yeah. Should we move on to Black Panther then? Let's move on to Black Panther and let's listen to the track. I mean, it's pretty simply named after the villain, Killmonger. this one i think it may be even better than t'challa's theme Mm, i agree oh good Good, good, good. (laughs) and maybe that's just because it has even more styles mixed in i i love how it sort of you get the string melody which becomes kind of the 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 bit that probably recurs most often but then you get those exotic flutes in there they're really cool Mm -hmm. they they almost sound like they're screaming you know yeah yeah, like so like gurgling, screaming sound. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. the, the the flute that's called, um, I think it's either like a tambin or a fula, um, but okay. it's very, 
it's very kind of it's very performance based so you know you get some instruments where they basically just play notes yeah whereas like with this particular instrument like the person who's performing it can really give their own character their own sort of quality to it and make it really interesting and different and Mm -hmm. so i think that's quite important that that's kind of like the root of this instrument that kind of gives to uh, Killmonger his own sort of authentic and and interesting identity. Yeah, and that's kind of a bit of a theme of the instruments they use in this. It's the same thing as what you're saying with the talking drum of these are instruments that are expressive in a different way to the instruments we're used to hearing. They're they're expressive in different ways from classical instruments, which Mm. are also very expressive, but they just do it in slightly different ways and possibly more importantly, in ways that are very unfamiliar to us. So it's surprising and exotic at the same time. Yeah. And then after all that, it goes into that sort of um, uh, hip-hop, urban, grime kind of a sound with the the deep brass and stuff, which is actually quite brilliant because it has that ominous villain quality but it also feels authentic to the hip-hop sound like the fact that grime has gone there is so not necessarily hip-hop it's well if you want to confirm the terminology it's actually trap okay so which is a style of hip-hop mostly characterized by the use of programmed hi-hats in more complicated um like rolling rhythms so at times it can almost sound like sound like a rhythmic trill do you know which bits i mean so um, layered with like a kick and then snare drums, which are much more on a simpler rhythm. So that's, I know what you mean, but um, yeah, that's kind of like the style of genre that it's actually based on, which is kind of like very in trend now and very current nowadays in all the charts. So trap music, that's what it is. Thank you very much. That is very much more your level area of expertise <laughs> than mine. So I'm very glad for you to pull me up and correct me on that one. Um, I, I just love it. It, it. So it feels to me like like the entry music for a boxer or a wrestler. And mm. I think that's perfect. That's exactly what Killmonger needs in yeah. so many of these scenes. Yeah, totally. Like for me, it's like the whole music and kind of motif of it, it just sounds really harsh. It's threatening. It's yep. dominant. It's imposing. Everything that it, Killmonger basically is. And I agree. Uh, what I like about it is how it, it blends his Wakandian roots and and his more western upbringing as i you know through the use of trap elements and those rhythms and kind of the more western popular music quality to it and i like the fusion of the sound because it accents his more urban and modern background having come from the hood or like living in Mm -hmm. the current climate in america where lives are hard and difficult and unjust so like the only solace um people can find is within this style of music in comparison to to T'Challa, who is more from a traditional ethnic background royalty sort of vibe, you know? So the difference between the two characters is heightened very much so by the use of Western music and current music versus... Do you know what I mean? Because T'Challa's track um, is much more very focused on um, orchestral um, as well as African... Yeah, ethnic music, you know. Um, exactly, it's traditional. It's yeah, traditional. It's regal. With all the things you said last round, it's traditional and it's regal. Plus, it has all of the African stuff. Whereas this mm. 
does kind of the same things, but you're right, then combines it with that very urban Oakland sound, which goes perfectly for Killmonger. And what I really dig about it is it's really quite clever in that it's managed to find a version of that urban sound that also has the brass, essentially. So there is a commonality between the two in mm, sound, but it mm. is used in completely different ways. Mm, mm. Uh, I mean, I'm not the expert on it, but like the that brass, it's so much more processed than the brass in, in T'Challa's one because it mm. has that modern sound. And I think it, it's it done just deliberately. Works so clever. Yeah, I, it, I completely agree. It's done deliberately, and I, I think it's very, very clever. Mm. Yeah, for me, like even the part of the music, uh, the way it, I think, whenever Killmonger's theme comes in, it's mm-hmm. so dominant and so out, like so threatening. Like particularly in the scene when he enters the Wakandian, uh, the Wak- the council of Wakanda after becoming the yes. new king. It's like a real the music really affirms of who he is and what he plans to do and that he's here to dominate and put things right in his eyes, you know, to kind of bring um, the modern world or like open up Wakanda to the modern world and just kind of like merge everybody together, you know. Yeah, and it feels like a really kind of aggressive cultural shift. Yeah. Like you actually do feel in the music, oh, no, this is a, even like, because it'd be so easy to kind of think of, oh, you know, Killmonger's African and Wakandan as well, you know, he's, he's part of the same crowd. But it makes it really obvious, no, no, it's he's not the same thing as these guys. These guys are from a whole different culture than him because he has that American angle to him. So I don't think there's really much mystery here. Am I going to assume that you're voting for Killmonger? Um, actually, I'm going to go for Deacon Frost. No, I'm joking. That, okay, good. <laughs> I I was about to uh, just just let me pick my jaw up off the floor, and uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Killmonger as well. And then he got you there. Yeah, <laughs> no, you did. You did. Well done, you. But yeah, yeah, it's Killmonger for sure. Round three. Okay, so let's start off with our track from Blade, and it is a kind of interestingly titled track, Dealing with the Roster, a very early uh, movie uh, track by someone we've already spoken about in the podcast, Mr. Junkie XL, and it comes from right at the beginning of the movie at an incredibly gory uh, underground rave party, and it's gory before Blade even shows up, and then it gets even worse. Here we are, dealing with the roster. Two face. 
yeah so this is basically blade he takes down the vampire club and i i like this track because i think what works is the editing is pretty much in time with the music which gives it a more sort of dance sort of like music video feel and it really emphasizes his attacks as the beat goes along and stuff so i just remember yeah as a child i was just like wow that's a really cool sequence there yeah absolutely you're right it does work and i think I mean, I'm sure before this point there had been some movies that had used sort of dance EDM type tracks for action scenes, but there hadn't been very many. I think this kind of really heralds the arrival of them because obviously Mm. then in in The Matrix and stuff, it was done a lot from then on. Yeah, exactly. And I think one thing that I would say that a conventional score would have not worked with this scene at all. Um, I feel that the music, the fact that it's contemporary and something that can be... Or, or at the time could have been bought or nowadays can be downloaded really appeals to the youth culture it's it's a pop culture music and it's like again when i when young people watch this film it can make them really it heightens a sort of feeling to them that kind of gives it a certain different unity or different rhythm to kind of get people to almost on a subconscious level to manipulate them how they're meant to feel do you know what i mean I do, and because it's kind of interesting, right? Because obviously, through the eighties and nineties, you'd had that whole kind of like MTV period. We've spoken about that on the on the show before, where you had that kind of effort to try and like shoehorn like a pop song into the into the movie there somewhere. So, like one of the really kind of famous examples is the Aerosmith song they put into Armageddon mm-hmm. and things like that. So they try and shoehorn that in so you could have like a, a sail off to the side for, of of the track. But this was kind of different because this is uh, kind of, uh, like this sort of EDM trance house that whole sort of set of genres of music yeah had sort of been happening underground and in the background it had not had been very much not mainstream very alternative but it, it had kind of grown to quite a level of sophistication mm. but one of the things that's different about this music from like your classic rock songs and ballads and stuff was that it's it, it's much more rhythmic it's much more visceral and physical in its sound and it's mm. kind of it's atmosphere and it basically is action music it, yeah, it drives the action. Yeah, so you could use it in ways you couldn't use. Because, like, those rock songs, stuff, they almost had to be put over either, like, big emotional moments or montages, where this, all of a sudden, you had stuff that could go over action, and you, you got it in this, then you got it in The Matrix, you got it in mm-hmm. Run, Lola, Run, Ocean's Eleven. It just started to become the go-to of, hey, you've got this whole genre of music that just sounds cool well, yeah, exactly. Because what makes these type of fight scenes in films different is that it's not meant to drive any emotional context. It's purely there to kind of show off and elevate the action. Mm-hmm. Well, then, shall we move on to our next contender? Yes, let's move on to Black Panther. And contender is right because we are actually talking about like literal combat scenes in this one. Of we're talking about the music for the waterfall fights which are like the big, they have this sort of whole ritual about how they, they select the king and they, they basically they fight for it. And the first of those tracks is literally called Waterfall Fight and let's hear it now. Thank you. 
So I really, I, again, I, I really like it. It's really clever. And the thing that really kind of stood out and the reason why I really wanted to talk about this is that there is an authenticity to this that you don't necessarily, you, you don't realize when you originally watch the film, which is that, uh, so they use a particular kind of drum uh, called the Sabar drum, which is like one of these sort of like big drums that they use in Senegal and apparently it can be heard 15 kilometers away. So it's used as a basically a communication tool between villages, it's, mm. its traditional purpose. And so Ludwig has gone down to Senegal. He's worked with a, a Senegalese musician and he's found out about all of these elements of, of African music. And for this one, he has literally managed to find drum rhythms on this drum that are used as challenges for each other. So pretty much we're gonna come and fight you type music. So there is an actual genuine authenticity of the signaling of these drums of this is a fight about to happen. And that's cool. That like there's just no no two ways about it. That is very cool. I totally agree that yeah, Ludwig I like, spent, I don't know, at least maybe what, two months in to in that country. So he really dedicated himself to kind of try to try and find the correct sound and honor that tradition and those that yeah. particular region. I think that's really commendable for a composer to actually do that. Absolutely, and very important too, because I mean, obviously, and he's said as much in interviews, he was very aware that he's this obviously incredibly white guy from Sweden who's been asked to score a film which, I mean, it's very American, but it's also meant to be a story of and about Africa. And he was very aware of that. And I mean, that's where the soundtrack is at its best. I mean, and, and it happens all the way through the soundtrack is where it is acknowledging and working with genuine African sounds. And honestly, I think it lifts the entire movie because one of the things where, and I'll talk about it now, I guess, one of the things where this movie does get kind of on the edge and dicey is its connection to Africa versus its connection to African-Americans. Because, it, I mean, it, the comic book is is African-American, the the director is African-American. Almost all of the actors are African-American. Only one of the actors kind of lived and grew up in Africa. So there was a risk of it getting very American and not being actually connected to where the story is taking place. But the music and the art together in particular go that extra mile to make sure they land it and make it work. And it's it's really, really well done. And the other thing I really like about it as a track is it gives us an example of the use of T'Challa's track about uh, almost two minutes in his theme comes through and you really feel it and you really feel how distinct it is because again this is what I was saying in the beginning you hear those trumpets Mm -hmm. come through which I mean the T'Challa drumming against the sabah you may may not notice but the trumpets you you really feel and you know and you're like oh wow this is this is the king Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. And, and it really stands out and then so we'll just kind of follow on from that to the the next time you hear this uh, is obviously later on in the movie. Spoiler alert, guys. Uh, Killmonger comes in and he challenges T'Challa and you get a version of the track which features both Killmonger and T'Challa's theme kind of competing with each other. And so here it is, the track called Killmonger vs T'Challa.
Yeah, it, it's it's weird like Killmongers when it comes out, there's a sort of wildness to it. It's mm-hmm. just, it's such comparison to like to T'Challa's, you know, and it kind of it again kind of reminds you of this sort of it's quite an old story, you know, where not prodigal son, but somebody who was outcasted and kind of returns to reclaim their place. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's a, it's almost like there's another like I don't want to say it, whether it's like a Lion King element to it. There's definitely a, a Lion King Hamlet quality to it. Yeah, yeah but you know, whenever there's like a sibling or anybody anything to do with family, and there's always like a long lost relative comes back um, mm-hmm. to your life, and it's just kind of like trying to take what's theirs. And I think the difference between them is just yeah, I think it's great. Shall we go on to voting? Unfortunately, I'm going to have to go with Black Panther. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's uh, the authenticity well, that really does it, yeah. Yeah, I know, but you know what? Actually, no, I'm going to retract that. Oh. <laughs> I don't Ooh. know. I think it's because, like, it's such a great... No, I'm going to go with Blade. F it. Okay. I'm going to okay. go with Blade. Just because, for me, that entrance and that fight scene and how the editing, everything was just really cool... It was just such a cool scene. I liked it. <laughs> yeah. No, I. So this, for the the last two rounds, I think have been very one sided. This mm. one is so close. It really is. It's very very good. But I think I'm going to go with Black Panther. Okay, fine. But do you think that the music elevated the action? Yes. Okay. In both case, in both cases. Okay, fine. Now should we move on to round four? Round four, pop songs. This is going to be interesting. This is really going to be interesting. So we're doing Blade. So for Blade, Mm -hmm. the track that we're going to be focusing on is called Confusion. And it's a remix by Pump Panel Reconstruction of a New Order track. I'm glad you said that because that was a real tongue twister. Well done. I know, right? And I'm foreign (laughs) as well. (laughs) So here we are, Confusion. This is an iconic club scene and like every rave was playing this song during the late 90s and early 90s. I mean, my God, I was listening to that. Yeah, you can't you can't criticize this for its influence, can you? No. And you know what? For me, I mean, it's it's yeah, it's proper. (laughs) Just say it, Ella. Basically, so for me, it captures everything about the 90s, which is drugs music party and sex pure hedonism which is an ex- which is for me an accurate reflection of an indication and kind of representation of the vampire's lifestyle and philosophy yeah it's exactly what you think of when you think of vampires particularly in that little window which is 
one of the windows in which vampires have been really popular. Mm-hmm. And I like how it's uh, it's kind of like a it's meant to be like a diegetic sound, isn't mm-hmm. it? So it's meant to yep. be, but it's it's a good non-diegetic um, overlay as well. Introduction to the vampire sort of coven, their little hideout sort of underground club area and stuff. This mm-hmm. poor human getting dragged into it, and it's. Uh, at first you think it's just a normal club rape and then gradually then it gets more sinister and the blood starts pouring out and it's like a bloodbath you feel like you get sucked into it as well much like him yeah (laughs) and the music really kind of sucks you in because of its sort of repetitive um sort of rhythms to it and melodies and well there isn't much melody but it's just a sort of like conveyor belt of sounds and rhythms pulling you in and you just kind of like you don't know when you don't know when it's gonna stop you're on this like r- runaway train i mean i, I like yeah i like it <laughs> so you're i mean you're much cooler than me did you ever go to raves i've been to a couple yes okay back in back in the day when they were kind of big or, or more recently Oh no! I don't know. Right now, I'm much more um, calm down. I just kind of sit down. You know, I have a bit of an Aperol spritz and a book <laughs> during Friday night and Saturday night. No, I wouldn't I'm, admit to that. <laughs> I'm a little bit down. No, it's more on a down tempo now. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair enough. What about you? Did I, you I, did you ever go no, clubbing? No, hell no. I, 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 a not that cool, and B didn't live a place in a place cool enough for, to to have experienced that. But you were in like London back where back where that was a thing. Yeah, I kind of had no choice. I got just I got dragged into this sort of hedonistic sort of way of life, you know, <laughs> of drinking and dancing. That, that is something to have in your resume. I mean, yeah, I mean, you've got to kind of note that it's the late nineties. I mean. This was almost becoming a trope in in films back then because you mm. had like Train Spotting, which had it, and you had um, a film that I actually quite like, Human Traffic, uh, a year after this in 1999. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a sexy, exotic underground kind of thing because I mean, it's, it, it always had that kind of like illegal, illicit kind of quality to it. Because as far as I understand, it was kind of you know you had to know where it was going to be because you'd go into like an abandoned warehouse or yeah. or something somewhere and there'd be a party and that's kind of shown in in the scene of you know they go into this like abattoir uh you know and you, you've got to know the person at the door to be nodded through but it had a whole kind of secret society sort of quality to it mm-hmm. yeah it's cool and it's dark and this is what vampires would do if they were alive now they would be total rave heads yeah i mean the style of music completely captures the spirit of that scene to be honest yep. So great. So Black Panther and the track All the Stars, which plays over the sort of I suppose we should just sort of introduce this before we get to it. The Marvel movie the Marvel cinematic movies have that kind of interesting thing with the credits going on where you'll have like an initial bit of credits that have like the actors or whatever and then it'll stop and you'll have a little bit more movie which is meant to be like the the easter egg that ties it into everything else in the universe so it's almost become like that first couple of minutes of the credits are kind of like part of a movie now because you know that there's going to be movie later on so this is the track that plays before you get to the movies this is the part of the sound of the credit scenes that you expect everybody will be in the cinema to watch basically
penetration ain't nothing new to me. You could bring a bullet, bring a sword, bring a morgue, but you can't bring the truth to me. Fuck you and all your expectations. I don't even want your congratulations. I recognize your false confidence and calculated promises all in your conversation. I hate people that feel entitled. Look at me crazy cause I ain't invite you. Oh, you important, you the moral to the story. You endorsing, motherfucker, I don't even like you. Corrupt a man's heart with a gift. That's how you find out who you're dealing with. A smart percentage you I'm building with. I want the credit if I'm losing or I'm winning. Oh, my mama, that's the real shit. Aligned with the visuals, it's stunning and more yeah. emotionally driven than the Blade one. And it's it's a great sort of pop. It's it's a standard ABA song structure, but with really interesting production and development. You know, it's it's a very current and current sound and production wise, it's, it's very so polished. Twenty eighteen, yeah. And you know, it's very inventive in its you know in the ways that it's incorporated all the different production techniques and nuances, which are all very on trend now. And even though it came out last year, but it's still it's still continuing the same trend. You know, particularly in that sort of um, sort of urban music. You know, with rap and like singing with auto tune. You know, which creates a sort of weird layer and tone. And then obviously you have during the chorus, you usually have a female vocalist singing. Um, mm. It's kind of like a trope there for that sort of style. And yeah, I can really appreciate it and it has a very warm, warming quality to it. Um, whereas Blade one is more sterile and cold. Yeah, I, I completely agree in that it's it's 2018. It basically, it's kind of an announcement this movie came out in 2018. Mm. And in, in, in many ways, it, it this bit, it, it feels very old school. I mean, you talked earlier on about how like the the kind of the, the use of the track that could be in an album and, and sell records on its own off to the side, like that really hadn't been done for quite some time. Mm. But this one did. This particular track, it had a music video that included a lot of the movie scenes in it. That was, It's totally like in the mid-'90s when on MTV the ad would basically be the music video of the track. Mm-hmm. And it kind of it ties everything together because, I mean, the particular genre of of music we're talking here, that, that particular sort of, I, I don't want to embarrass myself by wanting, by describing it too much, but that kind of urban sound, it's, it's that, uh, what's the Childish Gambino track, America or? Oh, it's This Is America. This Is America, that's it. The very socially conscious sort of like confrontational music that's talking about social issues, like that's the genre it's referring to with its sound. Mm. And it's very much tying in this movie is part of this movement we're defining the moment of what this movie represents. This is a big Hollywood movie with African-American stars and African-American director. We're telling an African story in an an African-American way and we are are part of everything together. Well, here's a little question uh, uh, along with a little statement. See, now, 
by using pre-existing music like contemporary music one of the downsides or potential downside could be like because popular music tends to exist within the moment you know mm-hmm. and society and everything around it like fashion music everything kind of changes and uh, mutates at the same time does it risk of if you use a popular song whether it's in blade or whether it's in black panther that from a certain time it can actually give it a give a film a shelf life maybe good point that it will date it essentially i i agree that it kind of does but almost not in these two movies sake Mm -hmm. in the same way that it also doesn't for the matrix so i think if your movie is stylish enough and the music feels authentic to the world that you are creating, then it's fine. Like, you you watch Blade and it still feels authentic and underground because the music feels perfectly right for that scene. Mm-hmm. And in this case, I mean, it may date, I suspect, just how ubiquitous this style is right now. It, it, it may wind up really dating it quite quickly. But I think we'll always acknowledge that this was a movie that was significant of this moment. Mm. And I think it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. So then I'm intrigued to know which one it, would you pick as your winner? It is tight. But actually, no, it's maybe not that tight. I'm going to go with Blade. I I think that its use of the track, maybe because it's in the movie, but also its its influence outside of the movie and the fact that it was a little bit more novel. Yeah, that that that, that rings truer to me than than Black Panther, even though I acknowledge a lot of the good things that Black Panther one's doing. Damn you! You're saying everything that I wanted to say. Oh what? <laughs> That's exactly what my my argument is. Is yeah, I go for Blade as well, just purely because, like as I highlighted before, it for me it captures more of what the scene and it fits more of the style and the spirit of the film. Mm. And I think it's it's world building in yeah. that case, where in this case in Black Panther it is connecting to the real world rather than drawing you into its world. And like the thing is, I can appreciate the the track on its own. In the film, um, uh, if to be truly honest, I don't really listen to a lot of urban music. I listen like yeah. now nowadays the current urban music, that sort of trap style. I don't. I can appre- I I acknowledge it and I appreciate it. However, I don't. It's not on my sort of Spotify playlist. I don't really go out there to listen to it just because there's a there's a part of me that feels that they all kind of sound the same. Yeah, I, I completely know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the, the, yeah, which, look, I'm uh, totally fine. I'm still not going to like take you to task for that. But I just wonder if maybe the desired effect of, of this, of the use of this track is to appeal to that particular demographic that does totally. listen to that style of music oh, all the time. I mean, absolutely. I think the whole film of the whole Black Panther as a whole overall film and everything is meant to um, appeal to the youth of today. Yeah, and yeah. I think particularly the sort of African Americans, mm. and and this track in particular, and the way that it's advertised that way. Yeah, there's a strong signalling of this is a movie for you. So I mean, not to say like I don't, I'm not into techno to be honest. So like, mm-hmm. as much as I like confusion, like within the scene, I wouldn't necessarily be listening to it on its own now. Like, yep. Um, I I think that segues us nicely through to legacy. To be honest, yeah, let's do this. Round 5 Legacy 
So in this round, we, we look at the sort of the life of the soundtrack outside of the film, either as an album or as just an influence on, on other films and, and media. So do you want to lead us off on Blade? Uh, if it's truly, to be truly honest, um, I haven't got much written for Blade for poor Mark Isham, apart from that he's just underrated. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. The, the guy is an amazing composer. I think, well, it's, I feel really bad the fact that I don't feel I can say much about Blade and about Mark Isham as a composer myself, so maybe you can lead more into it. Sure, okay. I, so I, This is what I, I found interesting about watching Blade, um, is I feel like it was really inventing that, that action genre in terms of, of sound. Because it is, and we've talked about it so much through the podcast, but it is, it's pre-Matrix. It's pre-Run, Lola, Run. They were still having to invent the balance of how do you incorporate a traditional score along with the electronica moments in these new action movies. Um, trench coat superhero genre, I'm going to I'm gonna call it. Um, but the rules haven't been written yet. And I think particularly with, with Isham's stuff, so he's playing with that 90s dark suspense movie sound. So he's basically serving up the, the M. Night Shyamalan sound, the sort of music you would hear in The Sixth Sense and stuff where he's mixing some electronic elements and a lot of um, uh, sort of like aleatoric horror music into, into this score because there's a lot of quite dissonant horror music mixed in here. And then you've got that being balanced against the, the techno. And that winds up kind of being the template of what movies like The Matrix and stuff do. But I think what wound up happening is you also had that Hans Zimmer revolution come through where the soundtrack music also became more electronic. Mm. And that kind of came through and changed the changed the scene, as it were. So he was, this is probably one of the few times you get that film music techno hybrid where the film music itself is still very orchestral and organic for want of a better word rather than having that more Hans Zimmer electronic sound to it so I think that's what makes it stand out and that's what is perhaps slightly wrong about it is they haven't quite worked that out yet Mm. so would you say that maybe they were the foundation I think it is I honestly think it is okay so it's not all doom and gloom. <laughs> no, I think it has. It actually has a very big legacy because mm. uh, that became a really dominant sound mm. uh, going through into the Marvel movies. Some of the Marvel movies have that sound as well where they mix in kind of techno EDM kind of tracks into their action scenes as well. Mm. Uh, Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy certainly plays around with that, obviously with an 80s aesthetic, but it, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, then, so should we move on to Black Panther. Yeah, sure. I mean, the one thing that obviously I want to say is that obviously Black Panther actually won a Grammy Award for Best Score Soundtrack for Visual Media. Yes, and And the Oscar. Yeah. Uh, I don't think... Did he win the Oscar? Yeah, he won the Oscar for it. I don't... Did he? Yeah. Huh. How did I I miss that in my notes? Huh. But um, yeah, so something that I wanted to kind of carry on as we were talking earlier in the episode is that I do find like he is a new breed of composers. He's definitely a newcomer and one to watch. Um, as I said earlier, he might be able to throw Hans Zimmer off his throne. Like, you know, we do mm-hmm. need fresh blood now, okay? And 
Obviously, you mentioned that he signed on to do Christopher Nolan's new film called Tenet. And um, so I think because he is an, an, art, an artist who comes from a sort of musical, music production background, um, I do feel that like the gap between music producer and score composer is merging more so nowadays than previous years. Because before you've always had a real distinct sort of separation between a music producer and a compo- and a score composer they never really yeah. blended together or kind of worked together hence why there was a real separation but i think like nowadays artists who come from a music production background have a very extensive knowledge at their disposal into how to make an experimental idea sound great and polished yeah. or, or really unique by you know utilizing the various processes then that like a conventional or maybe traditional composer might lack in, whether it's to do with imagination or maybe an incentive to take risks in the mix and development. Not necessarily compos- mm-hmm. composition, but do you know what I mean? So <laughs> I feel like you're talking about me, but absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. No, no, no. No, no, but that's all right. I, that's why I write with you is so that it, <laughs> <laughs> No, it, that's why well, I'm just saying that like it's I think the film music society is slowly lowering their noses to accept, acknowledge and give credit to this new breed of composers like starting off, you know, whereby they start off in popular music and being known for that and then then migrating over to film scoring such as, you know, Michael Levo, Emily Simone, Junkie Excel, like Tangerine Dream. These are all the acts that we actually talked about. Trent um, Reznor. In our episodes. Yeah, and Trent Reznor, yeah. So do you know what I mean? So um, I agree, but I, I would say that Ludwig's a little bit interesting in that, I mean, while he had been very successful with Childish Gambino and stuff, he's a bit different than he wasn't like a really well-established, famous artist in his own right as a musician. Mm. Like he was with Childish Gambino, but he was his producer. He wasn't necessarily like the name you remember. I think to a certain extent, the way has been led by people like Trent Reznor and Junkie XL, where people have gone, they've probably kind of, particularly Trent Reznor say, they've hired him partly because he has that cachet. His name means something. Putting his name on the poster will actually probably bring some people into the cinema. And I think there's, yeah, because it's cool. And I think there's, and I've definitely spoke with directors that have a touch of this as well, where if they're a fan of a musician, they not only feel like they inherently trust them to do the music for their film, but they also kind of get a kick out of having them on board because, you know, they're fans as much as they are collaborators. Uh, but I think what has happened after a good decade or so of people collaborating with genuine rock stars, pop stars, etc. I mean, like Johnny Greenwood even, I would put into that category, is that people have begun to respect this not only do they come along with their their cachet, but they're also bringing these skills to the party, yeah. which Ludwig is now kind of benefiting from of being someone who doesn't have that cachet. Putting his name on the poster, I don't think, probably brought that many people to the yard, as it were. But, but anyway, yeah, no, but I think... But it's because he brought a very unique quality to the sound and because he was very in the... Well, not not the minority, but you know when you're very obscure, not many people know you, but they take mm. notice of you because of you bringing something new and interesting to the table. Yeah. And the fact that he is a white Swedish guy makes him even it just makes the whole thing even more interesting. Yeah, there's something about the project of what he's done 
that really makes this album stand out. The fact that he, as we talked about before, he did go to Africa. He did seek out prominent sort of local musicians who have strong followings or styles but aren't particularly well known necessarily outside of their home country or at least their home continent and he actually worked with them and he was authentic with them and he let them really contribute as opposed to i don't know if you've ever seen the um the documentary that i think won the oscar a few years ago uh, 20 feet from stardom no where they talk to the people who do the singing at the beginning of the lion king mm-hmm. who are these these amazing session singers in los angeles but they're just singing gibberish. They just made it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there, there's nothing particularly real in most of that sort of quote-unquote tribal singing in The Lion King. But if you hear something in Black Panther, it means something. Every Everything he put into the soundtrack has cultural relevance, and that is that is a huge contribution that he's brought in there. Are you ready to choose a winner for this? Yeah, sure. I am going to go with Blade. just because i do think that you see that uh, the point i was making earlier you see that embryonic moment of these guys find a sound that is going to be so influential for at least the next next decade as kind of like in its raw form and then kind of just be absorbed into the this is how you do an action movie from now on so you're basically saying that, again, if it wasn't for Blade, we would have not got Black Panther, either f- filmic-wise yeah. or musicality-wise. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I topped that. Yeah, I th- I'll go with Blade. Mm-hmm. Wow, okay. So that is, a, that is a win for Blade. I think because, I think because it is, it's true that we have to kind of give acknowledgement and give it weight to how much it's contributed just because like it may not been i think we're so used to having films that are so loud and bombastic that like we kind of forget where it all started from exactly exactly and you watch it and you just like oh my god this is a really stylish movie yeah if this movie had been post matrix i wouldn't have put it anywhere near the winner of this but because it is pre-matrix it matters yeah yeah it's true. I completely agree. So, yeah. So who's the winner then? I don't think it's really going to surprise anyone, but Black Panther has run away with this one, uh, seven to three. And, oh, look, I'm pretty happy with that. Black Panther, it's an amazing soundtrack. It is a level of soundtrack that I haven't heard for quite some time, especially not in a superhero movie. So, by all means, hit us up on social media at Tricella Music and let us know if you think anything different or... Maybe you can think of some other movies that you think Blade has influenced or perhaps even already a couple of films that Black Panther has influenced because I'd be intrigued to hear what else is around there that is taking its cues to Black Panther because there's going to be a few. So then, Tristan, what are we going to be discussing next month? So we're going to be going back to the world of television next month to a couple of the uh, premier uh, TV series of of the last few years, one of which very prominently has just finished and that is Game of Thrones. I'm quite excited to talk about the music of Game of Thrones. And we've ummed and ahmed quite a bit about exactly what TV show to compare it to. And we've wound up going with one that we've at least both seen relatively recently, and that is going to be American Gods. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, and I think it will be fantastic. And if people at home want to make sure that they don't miss it, you should probably subscribe or keep an eye out on our social media channels. But until then, thank you very much, Ella. It's been a fantastic chat today. Yeah, thank you, Tristan. It's been, it's been a wonderful debate. All right, till next time, goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Country, king of my homeland, king of the filthy, king of the fallen, we living again. King of the shooters, looters, boosters, and ghettos popping. King of the past, present, future, my ancestors watching. King of the culture, king of the soldiers, king of the bloodshed. King of the wisdom, king of the ocean, king of the respect. King of the optimistic and dreamers, they go and get it. King of the winners, district and geniuses, we conviction. King of the fighters, king of the fathers, king of the belated. King of the answer, king of the problem, king of the forsaken. King of the empathy and resentment, king of remorse. King of my enemies, may they fall defeat I rejoice, king of the skyscrapers, dodging haters, broke religion, nine faces, go against the mind, race them with precision, I embrace them with collision, kings did a king's vision, black panther, king Kendrick, all hell the king. I dropped a million tears, I know several responsibilities put me here, I don't pedal backwards, but I live old-fashioned, the lens that I'm looking through won't prescribe you the right glasses, masses are now free, ashes I'm dumping now about to spread all across seas, sisters and brothers in unison, not because of me, because we don't glue with the opposition, we glue with peace, but still to fuck up your organization, if any beef, what do you stand for, are you an activist, what are your city plans for, are you an accident, are you just in the way, your native tongue contradicting what your body language Say, are you a king? Are you joking? Are you a king? Are you posing? Are you a king? Are you smoking ball rocks to keep you open? Because a king don't cry, king don't die, king don't like king. If our king get by, king don't fall, kingdom come. When I come, you know why. I am T'Challa.